Today we wrap up the journey through the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through this for a while, and we come to the end in chapter 16. It's been a journey. We've been looking at different uh, items in the different chapters and uh, trying to learn from what God has for us. And on this Resurrection Sunday, we end with a message that I trust will be encouraging as well as challenging. My prayer is that we would walk away from here ready, learning something new, ready to put it into practice and have the Holy Spirit, as, as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, that we would be obedient to what He has for us today. I heard about a, a little boy sitting next to his friend at church one Easter Sunday. His friend asked, how did you get that bruise on your arm? And the boy replied, I ate some Easter candy. And his friend said, eating Easter candy won't give you a bruise. The boy remarked, it will if it's your big brother's candy. <laughs> I heard also another story, too, that about two brothers who were getting ready to boil some eggs to color for Easter. One, uh, the older one said, I'll give you $10 if you let me break three of these on your head before they were boiled. The younger one said, uh, you promise? <laughs> and and the, the, the older one said, I promise. So gleefully, the older boy broke the first egg over his brother's head, then another one. The younger brother braced himself for the last egg, but nothing happened. Ain't you going to break that third egg? The boy asked, and his brother replied, Nah, if I did that, I'd owe you $10. <laughs> nah. Life is full of broken and empty promises. And we need to watch out for those, especially those empty ones. And often, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Marketing experts create commercials and advertisements that tell us that we can be happy, we can be sexy and rich and, 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 and famous as well if we only purchase a certain product. There are social media influencers that tell us of the newest and most popular thing to do or wear or say with the promise of a better life when those things go on in our life. The government promises that if we only we'd support this bill or elect this representative, then everybody would be healthy and wealthy. It doesn't take long before we have been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness. Some people may wonder if the same is true of God. I'm here to say, though, that our God is a God of promises. In fact, the Bible records over 7,000 promises from God to His people. We live in a world of broken promises and unfulfilled expectations. We make commitments and we don't follow through. We make plans and promises that we never even intended to keep, but not God. God is different. On the first Easter Sunday, instead of promises full of emptiness, God gave us emptiness that is full of promises. This morning, I'd like us to think about the promises of Easter. Now, there are at least three of them, and each promise is, is marked by something empty. There's an empty cross, an empty tomb, and empty clothes. It is the very fact that each of these is empty that assures us 
that God's promises are not. So first, let's take a look at the empty cross. And we'll be looking at Mark chapter 16 a little bit, and we'll get some help from the Gospel of John as well with this story. The empty cross. In Mark chapter 16, the first three verses. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So it's early morning, kind of picture that, almost dawn, but still just twilight. A few of Jesus' followers, these women, are are on their way to a tomb, and it's the tomb where Jesus was buried. They have been walking probably now for about a half hour, and the conversation is subdued. The task before them is a very sad one. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. As they come to the top of a, of a rise in, in the path, they all stop. Motionless and quiet, they stare off in the distance. As you look with them, just outside the city stands a gruesome reminder of the events of just a few days ago. Yesterday was the Sabbath, so nobody had yet removed them. So there they stand three crosses, an empty reminder of the horror of Friday. The one in the middle, of course, is the one that Jesus hung on. And as you look up at, that, at the top of that cross, those bloodstains are from the crown of thorns that was crushed into Jesus' skull. The stains on the ends of the crossbar, they came from the nails that were driven into His hands. And that main beam, it was soaked in blood, blood from His back, blood that was that was bled when the, when the Roman soldiers beat him and whipped him. It, was, it also has stains from the blood that poured from his side when another Roman soldier ran a spear through his side to see if he was dead, and he was. The soldiers knew it, the Romans knew it, the Jews knew it. The cross is the place where Jesus died, but today it is empty empty of Jesus' body, but full of God's promises, full of hope for you and me. The promise of the empty cross is that you and I have been forgiven because it was on that cross that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Now, there's the word, sin, (laughs) a word that is just not popular anymore these days. It's a word that isn't politically correct. But the simple fact of the matter is we have all sinned, every one of us, you, me, the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, in front of you, we all have sinned, all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And the only person who has, has ever lived a sinless life is Jesus. Everyone else has failed. And we all have have lists in our lives in our life, don't we? Some lists that we have. Lists maybe also too of sins, possibly. And what sins make your list if you have that list? Is it anger? Maybe anger. Maybe addiction. It could be pride. Maybe it's prejudice. Maybe it's a, a lustful eyes or or lying tongue. Maybe it's selfishness or sexual promiscuity. My sins may be different from yours, but each of us probably have a pretty good-sized list 
of the sins that we have committed. Every sin on your list comes with a price tag. A lifetime of sin is enough to rack up some major debt in heaven. You yell at your kids. You you covet your friend's car. You envy your neighbor's success. You lie. You lose control. You give in to temptation. You doze off during my sermon. (laughs) Further and further into debt. Initially, we might try to repay what we owe. We, we figure our account balances out as long as our good deeds outnumber our bad ones. Feel like you didn't, didn't match up with what God wanted you to do in, in your life? Well, you'll go ahead and find someone who's holding that cardboard sign and give them a lot of money. Or maybe you'll come to church more often to balance out that account. But that isn't the way it works. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. (laughs) Simply put, the cost of your sins is more than you can pay. But, but the grace of God is more than you can imagine. Do you know what God did with your list of sins? Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in sins and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then He gave you a share in the very life of Christ, for He forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of His commandments which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. That's what Jesus did. So when you look at that empty cross, it's a reminder of God's promise that we have been forgiven. On that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. God's Word tells us again, God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was on that cross that Jesus Christ offered His his perfect, sinless life on behalf of each one of us. No one else offered His life. Not Moses or Abraham. Not David or Isaiah. Not Muhammad or Buddha. No one else has ever lived perfectly and then offered his perfect life for our salvation. That is why the Bible tells us that there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. So when Jesus Christ breathed his last, he cried out, It is finished. The penalty was paid. When Jesus uttered those words, he wiped all the debt racked up by your sins and mine. He paid the debt that we could never pay. On that empty cross, it was there that His blood was spilt for our salvation. Before that faithful Friday, God could open the books and look up each name, and written in black were the words, guilt of sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, God literally transferred our accounts to His name. On that day, across every name, He wrote in Jesus' blood, forgiven. 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 And for those who have chosen to receive that gift of forgiveness, the transaction of salvation has been completed. Because there's a transaction there. I often go to Safeway, do some grocery shopping there, and I have the app on my phone. I don't know if you guys have that or not, too, but when you go to the store, you, get, you, you open up the app, and you get to see how many reward points you have at Safeway. Now, those reward points pile up uh, when you purchase things there and you put in your phone number, whatever it is. 
And when you go then to the store, in order to get those reward points redeemed, uh, to use them, you got to redeem them. You got to somehow say, yep, I want that one, clip that one, clip that one, clip that one. They're all offered free for you. But if you don't make the effort and do something about it to receive it, it does expire after a bit, those, those points. Now, that illustration only goes so far. God's grace does not expire. <laughs> but when you breathe your last breath, that's it. You stand before God in His judgment. That's it. No more. What you have, what you've done with Jesus, if you've done anything at all, that's how we'll be judged before God. But the thing is that we need to receive that forgiveness. It's offered at the cross. It's been done. The price has been paid for our sins. But have you received that gift from God? Because of the work that Jesus did on that cross, you and I can stand forgiven only if we accept that gift from God. So the first empty promise of Easter is the empty cross, filled with the promise of forgiven sins. That brings us to the second empty promise of Easter, and that's the empty tomb. The tomb that Jesus was laid to rest belonged to a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. It was a newly carved uh, tomb cut into the side of a rock wall, essentially a man-made cave with, a, with probably some rock slab benches inside where a body could lay. So with that little tidbit of info, let's go back to the, the story with the ladies that we found in, in, in Mark. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continued on their way down the path to the tomb. And as they go, one of them wonders aloud, who will move the stone that's there for us. Who's going to do that? They they've, they've, uh, have good reason to be concerned. <laughs> the stone that was placed in front of the tomb was a rather large boulder, probably weighing close to two tons. Not many people probably could move that. Not only that, the Romans had sealed it, so no one was allowed to move it without their permission. But the ladies continue. And suddenly they feel the earth move, and frightened they look at each other, not certain what to do. After a few minutes, things seem normal, so they continue on their way. As they approach the, the burial site, they are still wondering about what had happened when they come upon something even more remarkable. The soldiers are all unconscious. The stone has been moved. And an angel glowing like lightning is sitting on that stone right there. And listen to the words in Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. It seems like when angels appear, they always got to say that thing. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Because pretty much when you see an angel or messenger from God, uh, you better fear for your life. Something's going to happen there. So they always had to give that disclaimer. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus has risen. He was alive, and the tomb was empty. And what a tremendous promise all of that holds that I probably don't even have to tell you about. And the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise to every one of us that we too will be raised to eternal life. To those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, death has lost its sting. It is no longer something to be feared. 
What fear is there when we have the promise that one day we will live forever with Him in heaven? Now, there might be some um, idea and unknown of how you're going to die. (laughs) But when you do die, there's no fear about what is to come. Because for those who place their trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, He's preparing a place for you in heaven. He's got that special spot for you. Mike Grimm's got his corner there with OSU beavers and everything else going on over there. Others have their nice little spot. Even, even LaRocco's got his New York Mets probably over there somewhere, and he's enjoying, going to be enjoying that in his corner of heaven. Maybe the Yankees might be nearby. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well. But we all have a place. We all have a place in heaven being prepared for us. And there's a lot of questions about what will be up there You know, I don't know if all those questions will be very valid once we're there. (laughs) We're going to be face-to-face with God. But Jesus is preparing that place for us. He's promised that one day we will live forever with Him in heaven. A father and son were traveling down a country road one afternoon in the springtime when suddenly a bee flew in the open window of their car. And being deathly allergic to bee stings, the boy began to panic as the bee buzzed all around inside the car. And seeing the horror... On his child's face, the father reached out, caught the bee in his hand, and soon, he op- and soon he opened his hand and the bee began to buzz around once again. Again, the boy began to panic. The father reached over to his son, opened up his hand, showing him the stinger still in his palm, and he said, relax, son, I took the sting. The bee can't hurt you anymore. The empty tomb is God's way of saying to us, relax. I took the sting. Death can't hurt you anymore. So we just relax in Him about it. Why was the tomb empty? (laughs) Because Jesus was alive, of course. The angel said, He is risen, and the the promise to us is that we too can live even if we die. We're going to face eternity someplace. And depending upon our choice of, of what we do with Jesus, will determine where we're going to have eternity. But the promise to us is that we can live even if we die. And that is the second promise of Easter. But it doesn't end there. There's one more promise that I want you to know about Easter. And it is the promise of the empty clothes. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were both Pharisees who secretly believed in Jesus. Reluctant during Christ's life, but courageous at His death, as you follow along here in the Gospel of John. They requested permission from Pilate to bury the body of Jesus. So they ascended Golgotha, bearing burial clothes, long strips of linen cloth. And Pilate supplied permission. Joseph supplied a tomb. Nicodemus supplied the spices. Then the Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 40, following Jewish burial custom... They wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Now, for John, who witnessed all of this firsthand, the arrival of the burial clothes represented the departure of hope. These linens were a a tangible reminder that his faith and future were wrapped in cloth and sealed behind a rock. John didn't know on Friday what you and I know. In fact, John would later confess that he and the others still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
John and the others believed in Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus, and all their hopes and their dreams rested in a man they believed was God in human flesh. But then he died. The body wrapped in strips of linen and laid to rest. All of Jesus' followers were discouraged and disillusioned. Doubt swirled all around. Jesus' death dealt a, a crushing blow to John's faith. Maybe you can relate to that. Tragedies, tragedies often dent, sometimes destroy our faith. Difficult situations come our way. Maybe it's the loss of a job, or maybe the loss of a friend or a family member. Maybe God didn't show up when you thought He should have. When life gets hard and hopes are shattered, our faith can suffer a devastating blow. We begin to wonder why God lets bad things happen, or if God's even really there. But what we learn from John is to just hang in there a little while longer. We don't know what John did on Saturday. We have no, no passage to read about that, no insights to share. All we know is when Sunday came, John was still present. And so what about you? When you're in John's position, what do you do? When you're somewhere between yesterday's tragedy and, and tomorrow's triumph, what do you do? When you're between your Good Friday and your Easter Sunday, what do you do right there? How do you cope? Do you, do you leave God or do you linger near Him? John chose to linger. And because he linger, lingered on Saturday, he was around to see the miracle on Sunday. So back to our story. After the angel had spoken to the women, they immediately went back to the apostles and reported what had happened. With this incredible news, Peter and John immediately raced back to the tomb to see for themselves. When they got there, John st stopped just outside the tomb, but Peter ran right on in, just like Peter would do. It didn't take them long to discover that the tomb was just the way the women had said it was, empty. But that's not all. Inside, Peter found the clothes that uh, Jesus had been buried in. They, too, were empty. This could only mean one thing. Jesus was alive. If someone had stolen his body, they wouldn't have removed the burial clothes and folded them up neatly and left them there where he lay. Jesus was resurrected. And it wouldn't be long before Jesus Himself would appear to Mary Magdalene and to all of the apostles and eventually to over 500 people. And He would sit down with them, walk with them, talk with them, eat with them. Once again, they would be able to fellowship with their Lord. You see, that is the promise of the empty burial clothes. Jesus is alive and wants to have fellowship with you. Jesus isn't some nebulous force out in the universe influencing people. He is a living Savior and He desires to have our personal relationship, a personal relationship with each one of us, just as He did with the, His disciples 2,000 years ago. And think about it. The cross couldn't hold Him. The tomb 
couldn't contain him. The burial clothes were unnecessary because Jesus is alive. He has skin and bones and a face and was recognizable. He talked and, and touched and loved and healed. He did it the day of his resurrection. He does it still today. And most importantly, he wants to do it for you. I want to ask you a very important question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? I don't mean do you know about Him. Do you truly know Jesus Christ? You see, you can know about someone and not truly know them. Everybody knows about Joe Biden. Everybody knows about Chris Rock <laughs> these days. Everybody knows about Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan. These are people that we know something about, probably more than we wish. <laughs> but do any of us really know them? You can know Jesus. You can know His love. You can know His care. You can know His healing. You can know His forgiveness. It has been almost 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. That first Easter Sunday, as the women went to the grave, they had no idea what was about to happen to them. They were not yet aware of the wonderful promise of that day. Off in the distance stood an empty cross, the promise that their sins were forgiven. At the end of their journey was an empty tomb, the promise of their eternal life. Inside the tomb were empty clothes, a promise that they would once again have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The promises that they discovered that day, you can also too discover today. You too can know the freedom of forgiven sins. You too can know the promise of eternal life in heaven. You too can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I believe that it was John Maxwell who tells a story about a blazer jacket that he bought from Nordstrom's. He says, about a year and a half ago, I bought a new navy blazer at Nordstrom. It was one of those cases uh, you might have gone through where you buy an item of clothing, and the more you wear it, the more you realize you don't like it. <laughs> My blazer wasn't the right color, and to make matters worse, it attracted lint like it was going out of style. After wearing it pretty regularly for six months or so, I stuck it in my closet and didn't wear it for a long time. Tucked away in the back of my mind all, all the while was that famous Nordstrom unconditional return policy. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, that unconditional return policy. I thought I've had this thing for a year and a half. I've worn it lots of times and there's just no way they're going to take it back. About two weeks ago, I decided I had nothing to lose. I pulled the blazer out, threw a lot of lint on it just to make it look bad, and took it down to Nordstrom's men's department. I walked in, and immediately I felt nervous. I felt like I was about to pull a scam of some sort, but I played it straight. I walked right up to the first salesman I saw and gave this little prepared speech. I said, I'm about to put your famous unconditional return policy to its ultimate test, I have here a blazer. I've worn it lots. I've had it for a year and a half. I don't like it. 
It's the wrong color and it attracts lint like it's going out of style, but I want to return this blazer for another blazer that I like. Then I stood there. I couldn't believe it, he said. This guy with the big handlebar mustache just looked at me and shook his head and he said, for heaven's sake, what took you so long? <laughs> Let's go find you a blazer. Ten minutes later, I walked out with another blazer that was marked $75 more than I paid for the one that I brought in. It was perfect for me, and it didn't cost me a penny. In a small way, he says, the Nordstrom department store is a lot like God. They are willing to back up their promises. <laughs> and God is. God backs up His promises. And this morning, we have heard about three promises that God has made to us. The promise of forgiven sins from the empty cross. The promise of eternal life from the empty tomb. And the promise of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ with the empty clothes. Our God is a God of promises. He always keeps them. And the very fact that the cross and the tomb and the clothes were found empty assures us that God's promises are not. My question to you, though, this morning is this. Will you take him at his word? Will you take him at his word? If so, listen to this final promise found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you have never accepted God's promises for your life, he is waiting, probably wondering, for heaven's sake, what's taking you so long? Maybe it's been a while, and you need to come to Him. You've given your life over to Him. Don't wait another day. Do it today, and know the joy of eternal life in Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the one that will take us through, and also, too, prepare that place for us in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you'd continue to be with everyone here today. And Lord, as we continue through this time and sing a couple closing songs as a worship band comes up and prepares for that, I pray, Lord, that you would remind each one of us that you are a God that is just a prayer way as far as salvation is concerned. And Lord, if we are here today and we've never known you as Jesus, we, we know about you, but we never, we, we've never known you, though, as Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation, and it's just a prayer way, a simple prayer uttered from the heart. God, please save me. And that's all it takes. <laughs> and from that prayer on, then you choose to live your life for Jesus. Maybe there's someone here today, and maybe online as well too, that has made that decision but that decision has become a little old. Maybe there's been some things that have been thrown on top of that. The world has thrown so much stuff our way and we just can't get through the clutter and our relationship with Jesus has just been stifled. Maybe today is the day of coming back to Jesus, renewing your faith in Him, realizing that He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. I pray, Lord, for those people who need to reclaim their relationship with Jesus. Renew that. And Lord, I ask that you would 
remind each of one of each one of us is as we pray that prayer, you hear it and you answer it. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for that promise. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bring assurance to us as well. For anyone here today or online who has made that decision. Lord, thank you for this Resurrection Sunday and the decisions that can be made today to follow you. Let's pray, Lord, that you impress that on our hearts and continue to speak to us as we continue on with our time here together. We love you, Lord, very much. In your name we pray. Amen.